1: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home.
0: Good morning, everybody. Would you go ahead and stand with us? this morning, as we together recite the Apostles' Creed, it's our statement of faith here at Celebration Church, is what we believe. So, would you join with me as we declare it together? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead We want to take a moment to welcome our campus in Stevens Point and in Appleton and those that are joining us online this morning as well. Good to have you a part of our service here this morning. Of course, good to welcome those that are in the Green Bay campus as well. Green Bay, why don't you give a hand to all of those that are watching online and the other campuses, part of our family here at Celebration Church. Good to see each of you here. Very special day today. So it's good to have each person join with us this morning. So again, we are... uh, about to transition into a message that Pastor Mark's going to be sharing with us, so open up your hearts as God's Word is preached this morning to each one of us. Amen.
1: Good to be here with you, and good morning to our campuses over in uh, Wisconsin, Celebration Church over in Green Bay, Appleton, and Stevens Point. Through the miracle of technology, I'm able to preach here and still share it with our people back there. So we have a very big service this morning. Lots of people. You can't see them all, but they're all there. So good to be with you. We're excited about being here. Uh, I love this place. I love this church. It's an amazing church. I hope Uh, more and more people from our congregation will get a chance to come and visit here in South Africa and stop at Grace Point and visit with all of you. It's an amazing place. Uh, Glad to be here. Uh, Bishop Gary... Uh, Is beginning a series on justice And how Christians are supposed to approach justice And he asked that I would uh, kick things off with the first message So uh, that's what I'm going to do this morning And share this message again here and with the uh, church back at uh, Celebration Church in Wisconsin If if I look a little buzzed out It's because I'm on a bunch of drugs right now if I'm not my normal cheery self, <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know, my church right now is probably looking at saying, why are you all bundled up with all the layers? It's because here it's cold. So I leave Wisconsin. When it finally gets warm in Wisconsin, I come here. So, uh, so it, I don't know if it's just the weather change going from the warm to the co- cold. But it always triggers something and I, or all the germs on those planes. I don't know what it is. So anyway, the good news is uh, the drugs I'm on are legal. And and the bad news is that the drugs I'm on are are legal. I could use a little something else. But uh, but we're going to start with Micah. The sixth chapter, the prophet Micah writes these words. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Well, he gives us the answer. To ask, act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're going to talk about justice. We're supposed to act Justly. What is justice? Very simply put, it means to make things right. To take something that's wrong and make it right. And now Micah tells us that God requires that we act justly and we as people of faith should be working to correct that which is not right in our world. Now there's four kinds of justice. Uh, The first one is called commutative justice. Big word there. Uh, It's the idea of making all things equal. It's a term that's used in mathematics. It's it's when you can swap the numbers around in an equation and still end up with the same answer. Uh, In mathematics, it's called commutative law. So the idea of this type of justice is to make things equal for all. Uh, The second one is uh, called distributive justice. This refers to individuals taking what they have and sharing it with others for the common good distributive justice. Then there's legal justice refers to the obligations of the government to its citizens and society to fairly write and enforce laws. And then finally we talk about social justice where everyone has a right to a fair say in what happens in our society regardless of their race, creed or nationality. Now there's much talk about today uh, in our country I don't know about here, probably here as well. It seems everywhere people are talking about economic justice. But so when you take all these ideas to try and reach some version of economic justice. Now the prophet Micah makes it very clear that we are to act for justice. We are to act for making things right. The problem is when talking about justice, making things right, you you can take 10 different people and get 10 different versions of what you think is right. So it's kind of hard to move forward on that. And even if you can uh, get people to agree on what should be corrected, then you argue about how it should be corrected and can't get much done that way. Um, We're going through a lot of that uh, back home in the States. Uh, The political divide in America today is really rather massive. I've never seen anything like it uh, in my lifetime, but it's gotten pretty intense and people are at each other's throats. Trying to come up with what they think are the answers to injustices in in our culture. Uh, So the church finds itself today, as it often has in the past, struggling with how much we should get involved in fighting for justice in terms of working with culture and government uh, to correct some of these problems. Sometimes we get it right. Uh, In America, when uh, churches fought to end slavery, we got it right. And historians will tell you that the greatest voice in America for the first part of its founding, most of the first part of its founding, uh, was the, the pulpits of America, churches. If the per- churches and the pulpits gathered together to move something forward, it overwhelmingly would go forward. So it was people of faith, Christian people, who started standing up against this idea of slavery, and, and we got that one right. And, and get, we got it right when, when churches would get involved and fight for things like civil rights. Uh, so there's times that we can get involved in the greater culture and, and get things right. The problem is sometimes we also get it wrong. It's like when uh, churches in America fought to ban all alcohol sales. It was called prohibition. They got a constitutional amendment. And uh, for those of you, I don't know if you know much about it. American justice and, and, and laws. Of, it's extraordinarily difficult to get a constitutional amendment. But they pulled it off and it was driven by churches uh, because of the very strong voice that they had. The problem was it was a, a, a total disaster. It ended up horribly. It was a colossal failure that exponentially did more damage than it did good. And then we had to go through the humiliation Of introducing a new constitutional amendment to cancel out the old one. Uh, We were driven by what we thought was the right thing to do. But we overstepped. We stepped beyond our bounds as people of faith. You know, sometimes we try to help God out. You know what I'm talking about? I call it the the beyond the Bible club. We take something that's in the Bible and we help God out. Because clearly God didn't quite get it right. So we try to add to things and we just mess it up. Uh, And it was driven by legalism. Uh, Now, the Bible says we should not be getting drunk. you should not be getting hammered and and that sort of thing. It does not, however, say you cannot drink alcohol. But apparently the Bible didn't quite get it right, so we had to fix that and make a law that said you can have no alcohol. And it was an unbelievable disaster. And it did great harm to the kingdom, quite frankly. Uh, If you look at American history, up to the point of prohibition, the single strongest voice in the country was the church and the pulpits of America. Ever since Prohibition, from that time on, it's like America quit listening to the church because we made fools of ourselves, and, and it was an unmitigated disaster. Sadly, the churches in America have yet to ever, and I don't know that they ever will, apologize for the foolish nonsense of it. That's, that's the danger of legalism. When you're trying to help God out, I use the analogy, our church has heard this analogy before, but it's like having a rule that says children should not play in the road. That's a good rule. You don't want children getting hurt. But then a legalist comes along and says, yeah, but they probably shouldn't play in the yard. Because if they play in the yard, they'll be tempted to go into the street and get hurt. And then another legalist will come along and say, actually, they can play inside the house, but you have to keep the curtain shut. Because if they see the yard, they'll be tempted to go outside in the yard and then possibly end in the road and then get hurt. And then a really brilliant theological legalist will come along and say, children have to stay in the basement. Because if they come upstairs, they'll be tempted to open the curtain, they'll see the lawn, they'll get on the lawn and get into the street and they could get run over. So then you wind up with a bunch of pasty little people in the basement because they never exposed to the sun. And that's what legalism does. I know sometimes we want to make things better, but we need to be careful. I always encourage you don't need to go beyond the Bible. And believe it or not, God doesn't need your advice on how to get things right. And in that case, we got it uh, terribly, terribly wrong. Now, churches today all over, particularly in Western culture, are struggling with this idea of justice and particularly economic justice. Uh, And we need to be careful how we approach it, and we desperately need to get it right. Now, people on the far left of the political spectrum love to champion the idea of economic justice. They're going to give everybody everything for free, which is total nonsense. They can't do it. And I really don't think that's their motive at all. I must confess. I think it's just the words they're using. Their motive is power. They want to get power. And then once they start wielding power, it gets out of control. Uh, It sounds all lovely, but I don't really think... Uh, that's really what they're after. This idea that a political philosophy or political party can bring justice to everyone, it, it sounds warm and fuzzy. It, it, would it be great if it was true? The problem is it is not true. Uh, and, and the younger and more idealistic you are, the more wonderful these idealistic policies seem. The problem is that governments rarely succeed in making things Right? No one in their right mind should ever think, we got a problem, let's get a politician. (laughs) Virtually everywhere these policies have been put into practice, it has failed quite miserably. But it's like we're just ignorant of history. Many of the efforts to lift people out of poverty actually ended up causing them to become dependent on government and not become self-reliant. In the end, the common welfare is not improved. In the end, society is dramatically worse off In other words, things are not made right. Therefore, it's not true justice. Things are not made right. They're actually made worse. Even though the intent, the goal, the allure was to make all things equal and everyone will be happy and hold hands and sing kumbaya. It just doesn't work out that way. Now, the bishop will be taking you in whatever direction when he talks on on justice in this series. I just, I don't have any grand insights into the greater scheme other than what I just said. I just think we just need to be careful oh, if we're, when we connect with uh, political parties and stuff. I think we should get involved and as involved as we can. And all I'm saying is we just need to be careful that we don't fall into traps because things don't turn out the way that we would hope. But anyway, my talk this morning about justice to you and to my church back home is I want us to talk about how we can advocate for justice in the most simplest of terms. We know that God wants us to strive for justice. That's what the prophet said. He wants us to strive to make things right, things that are wrong. Uh, The good news is that this can be done every day without the involvement of politicians or the grand and faulty ideologies of fallen mankind. You see, God often chooses to bring justice to the world through people of faith. Uh, If there's one thing about churches that we should be known for is when you get around these people, they're constantly wanting to make things right. That should be our hallmark, right? Loving people, caring for people, being involved. Jesus made it crystal clear that we are his agents in this earth. We become his hands of justice. Let's read uh, Jesus' words in Matthew, the 25th chapter of this morning. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about, The final judgment. Uh, When he comes and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people uh, from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I'm not sure I could tell the difference between a sheep and a goat, but apparently it had to be done. He will keep the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will seem a little confused. And they're going to answer him, Lord, When did that happen? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty, give you something to drink? When when did we see a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go out to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then we get the flip side of the coin. And he'll say to those on the left, apart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. And they also will be very confused by all of this and will answer, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and didn't help you. And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these, least of these, you did not do for me. You see, on that great and terrible day, he will bless those who did justly, made things right, and will condemn those who made no effort to make things right. And notice that justice is achieved at the most basic of levels. Feeding the hungry, helping the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the sick or imprisoned. And all of this, amazingly, was accomplished without the aid of politicians. Again, I'm not saying we should not be involved in the political process. Just be wary. These people tend to be very self-serving. We read in James' epistle, he writes to the church. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace. God bless you, man. We love you. We're praying for you. Oh, we love you, man. We're behind you. Yeah, they're so far behind you can't see them. God, peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? Well, the implication is not good at all. We want to bring justice and do justly. We need to help those that we can help. And then finally, I want to read the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. We read it in Luke, the 10th chapter. A man was going down from Jerusalem, Jesus said, going to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And, of course, Jesus used the analogy of a priest. Holy man, devout man of God, a man who should be doing... Justly And the priest comes by And he sees this guy all beat up On the, on the side of the road And he, he passed By the other side Didn't want to get too close So to a Levite, same picture A devout worshiper He comes And when he came to that place He did the same thing Passed on the other side Said I'd love to help you but Service is starting in 10 minutes I gotta get going You know, I'd love to do something, but I'm going to Bible study, you know. I'd love to do something, but, 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 but. And then Jesus says, but then a Samaritan. Now, this stung when he said that. Because his Jewish audience that he's speaking to did not like the Samaritans at all. They considered them half-breeds. They were just scorned and looked down upon. So, they liked the priests and the Levites. But now he's talking about a a Samaritan. He says, a Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, said, look look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Here is a man who they would have not expected to be righteous, but yet he did justly Now doing justly uh, Can be a challenging thing Uh, God has called us to bandage the wounded To meet the physical needs of others to visit the sick and the lonely we are to become the eyes ears hands and feet of God We are as a prophet called out to do justly And it's really this simple if you have the power to make something right then do it it's not any more complicated than that. If you see something is wrong, then fix it. And churches are very bad about this. God bless us all. Uh, we're very quick to complain about what is wrong. Uh, very slow to volunteer to fix it. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to really do that. I just want to be served. You know, Do things the right way. Uh, and we ought not to be doing that. If you see something wrong, you fix it. Somebody comes to me and says, pastors, you know, there's something wrong in the children's department. Oh, good. Go work on it. And they're shocked, you know. Or, we need such and such done. You're right. Can you be here tomorrow and do it? And then they freak, you know, because they, they don't want to do it. Uh, like to complain, but we need to do what we can do. Uh, you don't need to wait for the government to fix things in life and bring true justice to the world. They rarely get it right. And to our idealistic youth, and now I'm speaking to those for sure. I don't know about your country, but in mine, a lot of young people today are just caught up in this deeply flawed and dangerous ideologies that says government can fix everything. No, no, no. I say this to you. If you want justice as young people, and I'm glad you have a heart for that, then you do it. Don't turn to some weird ideology that forces others to do it, And that's the problem. Now, there's a, a study that was done in America. Universities and stuff study the stupidest things on earth over there. But, uh, but in this particular case, they wanted to study who were the most generous people. What kind of gen- people are the most generous people in America? And they finally published, and I believe they wrote a book on it, uh, that uh, uh, gave their conclusions. And the authors admitted they were stunned, shocked at what they learn as a result of their study. You see, because in America, there's this lie put out, particularly by people on the left, <laughs> that says the left care about people. The right don't care about people. These are the compassionate souls. These are the wicked, evil, greedy, rich people. And at the end of the day, after they finished study, they said the most generous people they found in America were people on the right. The people on the left gave hardly anything. Many of them, less than 1% of their income went to helping anyone else. Where those on the right gave 7, 10, 15% of their income. Uh, the greatest contributors to causes, uh, nonprofit organizations, feeding the, the, the hunger come from people that in our culture says they, they're greedy and they don't want to help people. Well, they're only called greedy and help because they don't want the government to do it. And then the, these people yell back and forth at them. Uh, But the reality is things aren't as what you think. I think the reason why some people on the the political spectrum like the idea of government fixing things is so they don't have to do it. Isn't it interesting? The people who yell the loudest for justice are the ones who don't really give anything themselves. It's very, very strange. I think they want the power of government to force other people to fix it so they don't have to fix it. But those approaches to Injustice almost always fails. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, the uh, Prime Minister of England, once said this The problem with socialism is that at some point you run out of other people's money. See, people love to spend other people's money, right? We like to use this imaginary group of people that are supposed to have all this money when in fact they really don't have as much as people think. And, you know, let's force them to bring justice, uh, but it just doesn't work. Uh, if we want justice, don't expect someone else to fix what is wrong. We should want to fix what is wrong. Uh, and in closing, I, I want to give an analogy. Now, I, I just used this analogy at our church uh, back in, in the States. So endure me once again for bringing up this, this account. Although half the church probably wasn't there last week. And it'll be new to you. But uh, I was reading the story of Lazarus. You remember Lazarus? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This was a dramatic miracle, one of the most dramatic miracles that Jesus performed. And what made it so dramatic is that Lazarus was dead for so long. He was in the tomb for four days. Why is this significant? Jesus had raised people from the dead before, but you know, people by nature are unbelieving. I said, you know, (laughs) earlier, if, if, if Bishop Gary were to fall over dead right now, and one of you in the medical, and you, and you say, oh, oh, my gosh, he's dead. And then a second later, somebody prayed for him, and he sat back up. We wouldn't think it was a miracle. we think, oh, he probably just had gas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and, and I must confess, I'd be the same way. I would think, oh, it's probably nothing. You know, you guys back up, we all know. That's exactly what we think. Oh, he probably wasn't really dead. Even though he was, in fact, completely, totally and completely dead. And I brought, so Jesus would do miracle people not he bring about back to life and they probably wow well, you know me probably just wasn't feeling good or you know and weird stuff happens you know they blow it off I, I just read uh, I can't remember where this was at I read yesterday a news story about this guy at his funeral and uh, all of a sudden he was alive <laughs> I'd have issues with my doctor I'll tell you that <clears throat> why did you say I was dead but you know so weird stuff happens but when you're dead for four days, sealed in a tomb, you're pretty much dead. So the Lord intentionally waits for this series of events to occur. And then uh, he shows up. And of course, Martha and Mary, they're all upset. And everybody's crying. Everybody's crying. Even Jesus started crying. It was depressing. The whole thing was depressing. Everybody's, so sad. Uh, and then Jesus said, all right, roll away the stone. And people said, Dude, you don't want to do that. It reeks in there. He said, roll away the stone. Now, if you are there, you've got to be wondering, what in the world is he doing? And everybody's eyes are fixed on Jesus. And the Bible says he yells, Lazarus, come out. And I'm sure everybody went. (laughs) And the Bible says, Lazarus, came hopping out. The reason he was hopping out is because his hands were tied, his legs were tied, and he had cloth wrapped around his head. He, he looked like the mummy. And comes out to the door. Now, I got to tell you, I see that, I'm the next guy in the tomb because that would scare me to death. Ah! But, but But the part that I pointed out to our church last week was that at that point, Jesus says, Untie him. Now, why didn't Jesus untie him? But it would have been more dramatic. Jesus walks up, gets everything off, presents him to No, no, no. He tells others to do it. Why? Because God will do what only God can do. But then he calls us to do what we can do. And the reason, uh, as I was speaking last week to our church, there's a lot of Christians today they are, they're alive, they're alive in faith, things are great, you know, in that respect, but they got issues, and they're still struggling, and life is hard, and they come to church, how you doing, good, how you doing, you know, everybody's just hopping around like this, like Is you know, having a hard time moving, because we are still bound up, and we keep wondering how come, when is God going to fix this, you know what I'm talking about, right, some of y'all dealing with stuff, when, when is God going to fix this? Because my husband's demon-possessed and I'm having a hard time dealing with it, you know, or whatever it is. But you're really looking at the wrong place. You know who's supposed to unwind you? The guy sitting next to you. The people that you get to know, that you connect with. We're supposed to be a community that does justly. We minister to one another. Well, why didn't God just do everything? Because he didn't call uh, us just to sit around and do nothing. Let God be God. Let him do what we cannot do. But at some point, we need to do what we can do. So the bottom line, if you want justice, don't expect the government to fix it. Don't expect someone else to fix what is wrong. You fix it. You get involved. You give. You make right what is wrong. The prophet said, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your kindness, your mercies to us. Thank you for your gifts. Lord, we're so grateful for the power of God that is preached in the gospel, that brings new life, answers to prayer, that God, you will do things that no one else can do that cannot be done. You are a miracle working, powerful God. But then, Lord, there are issues that we need to help with one another in the church community. Unwrap each other. Help us to unwrap people. Help us to minister to people. Help us to be nice to people. Help us to be your hands in the earth that works for justice. Lord, we may not be able to fix the entire world's problems. But we should be able to fix all the problems that we encounter. God, help us to have hearts and minds that think in this way. So we might bring glory to you and act justly. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless amen. you all.